So Brian, welcome to, to the podcast, Yellow, Blue and Green. Really happy to have you on. It's, yeah. um, it's, it's another topic which I'm, I'm very, very interested in and, and passionate about, um, which is food, agriculture, um, use of our resources globally. And where are we going now? You know, what does the future hold for us? What are the challenges that we're currently facing with, um, with nutrition? nutrition deficit in some countries, or even over, over, um, over calorific intake in, in other parts of the world. So, you know, things like this, which I, which I think are challenges and what, what's currently happening technologically and, and um, in terms of science-based approach to, to deal with these challenges. And, you know, a, a discussion around that, I think would be, would be really, really interesting. So, um, Brian Kwok Lee, do you want to introduce yourself at first and give, you, give us a bit, you know, your, your background and your interests and, and uh, why, why we're talking today? Yeah, um, so hi, I'm Brian and uh, I'm currently a PhD candidate at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Right now I'm studying the anti-inflammatory properties of some flavor compounds from onion and garlic, uh, but my interests are pretty broad. Like anything that involves food, um, and the importance of food in everyday life and in culture, I think, uh, is, is worth studying. And so I've done a lot of reading, a lot of writing. Um, I'm especially passionate about where food science and technology is right now and where it's going to go. Um, and um, I, I, I really especially like to learn about the intersection between food and other technological fields, especially things like biotechnology, uh, engineering, um, as social issues, uh, nutrition, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, those are, um, that's basically where, where my head is nowadays. Um, I'm also uh, volunteering for one of the nonprofits that's associated with our professional society, which is uh, the Institute of Food Technologists, where I help run a lot of their social media and uh, run their award-winning blog scientific food um, excellent great was there one overriding reason why why you, you chose the the kind of field of studies that you're in was there something in particular that that took you to that or that interested you or probably yeah. solve? sure yeah um so basically after i graduated college uh i, I wasn't really sure what i wanted to do i i'd studied chemistry i was really passionate about chemistry but there's, there's so many things you can do with chemistry and I didn't know where to put my head. So I actually, uh, I actually decided to uh, walk across the country, um, walk across the United States. Um, and I made it about 2000 miles from California to Louisiana. And all throughout that, basically I was just kind of absorbing, you know, what people were talking about and what people uh, cared about uh, across, uh, across the different states. And, uh, I learned so much about the importance of food and especially about nutrition and about diet and about, you know, per, for me personally, walking that much every day required you to kind of think in terms of your caloric intake and what you're putting in your body. And I was, I was actually appalled by the fact that, you know, every time I went to a grocery store, all I could find were, were processed foods and, you know, which is great. It has great shelf life. It has um, the ability to, uh, stand up to heat and uh, moisture and so on and so forth. But, you know, that's not what you want to be putting in your body if you're, you're trying to walk uh, 20 miles a day. So in, in my head, I, I thought, you know, maybe I should start focusing my attention on food. So I decided to enroll in a PhD program uh, in food science, uh, specifically targeted towards what are sort of the health benefits of, um, you know, plant-based ingredients uh, and fruits and vegetables um, and that's really been the focus of my studies in the last five years wow that, that's not something that everybody does when they're <laughs> kind of trying to discover what their purpose is to just you know stick their trainers on and walk 2000 <laughs> i take it seriously I, I, <laughs> I purpose see. is serious for me <laughs> I can see. your body is also an instrument right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly cool. no excellent excellent I mean, on the plant-based thing, um, there's been a huge kind of uh, increase in, 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 in awareness and, and, and research and, and discourse on, on you know, vegan diet and plant-based diets, particularly at least in Europe over the last 
five years or so. And in the last, I'd say two years, words like veganism have just become really mainstream to the point now where pretty much every restaurant has like vegan, definitely vegan options, there's vegan based, um, uh, you know, shops and, and restaurants all around the place. And I think the awareness of why veganism, not just from an ethical point of view, you know, there's definitely a, a very strong um, vocal group around why ethically veganism is important, but also dietarily and from, a, from health benefits of a plant-based diet, why it's, it's so important. And I myself have become a vegan since, since the start of the year. And I have to say that there are a lot of, I, I've noticed differences in, in, my, in my mood, in my attention span, in the way my brain is functioning, my joints, inflammation is a thing of the past. And I was really skeptical because I've always thought you need meat, you need meat for protein. You need, um, you know, you need your dairy because your bones and calcium formation, all these things which I, for many, many years, took as, you know, the holy grail. And I kind of started turning on its head when, when I thought about veganism. And, and it made me question a lot of the assumptions that you make when you look at diet. What is it you need to eat? Either from a calorific point of view, from a um, nutrients point of view, from, you know, the different compounds you need to, to absorb. And... I, I, I'm kind of, I've, I've reassessed my whole view on, you know, on, on agriculture and, and what kind of foods you can not just survive on, but thrive on based, based on that. And that's from when, you, when you're talking about in terms of plant-based, you know, options as well. It sounds like that's something you've also um, been, been kind of looking into. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I myself, you know, I don't prescribe to a vegetarian or, or vegan diet, but I know that as I've looked through the, the research and the literature, there's just so much as far as the importance of having uh, plant-based ingredients and foods in, in your diet. Um, like you said, you know, there's, there's ways that these, these foods can uh, reduce inflammation and kind of improve a lot of the different uh, health outcomes. And, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of, um, you know, health professionals who have touted the importance of plant-based diets. Um, not to mention, I think um, if we kind of go a little to the side here, that for, for thousands of years, there's de definitely different uh, religions that have, you know, put an emphasis on plant-based diets for ethical reasons, but also, you know, for for um, cognitive and, and health-based reasons as well. So it, it's very fascinating to sort of this overwhelming evidence that eating plant-based foods is uh, is definitely beneficial. And I also, you know, I used to definitely think that there's a, there's a lot of stock in the idea that, you know, you do have to have some meat in your, your diet. I know that, uh, you know, someone like the, the Dalai Lama has had to, you know, yeah. introduce meat into his diet and yeah. fish and so forth. But, um, you know, the, the world is, is very different today. There's a lot of modern technologies that can help you supplement any of your deficiencies. And I think that's the, the key here is, you know, whatever you're missing, there's a way to get it from a plant-based direction, you know, biotechnology uh, kind of affords us the uh, privilege of being able to, you know, synthesize compounds and, and nutrients that, you know, wouldn't necessarily be available if, um, you know, you were sitting here uh, 200 or 300 years ago, where, you know, exclusively you would need to get your, um, your calcium, your iron from, um, from meat. Um, and, but nowadays you can, you can get it from anything, more or less. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of great um, work done out there as far as the research behind, you know, fruits and vegetables, they contain a whole host of different um, chemicals and compounds that, that really change how you feel and what your body is doing. And it's, it's incredibly important to have, for sure. Do you, do you think that, um... Given, given the Western diet in particular, is, it has a focus on you know, meat, dairy, and, and vegetables, a, a balance of all of these, that um, there, is, there is a maybe a too much emphasis on, 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 on certain parts of the diet or in certain requirements, maybe to the detriment of others. So maybe the, ba the balance isn't quite where it needs to be in terms of what you're getting from a nutrition point of view in, in what you eat on an average, I say an average Western diet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's funny, they, um, in sort of the, the research, um, they, they use the Western diet as actually a, a way to, to get 
mice and rats obese you know there's sort of like a qualitative like you get your fats 40 uh, you get 40 percent of your fat from this diet and you know these these mice and rats like immediately get fat you know over a course of eight 12 weeks and you know that says something that means that there there must be an imbalance as far as your caloric intake and where you know where these different nutrients are going and the problem is um with that emphasis on meat and on dairy and um, all these animal-based products, a lot of those um, foods are, they, they are inflammatory. You know, there, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that they, they definitely increase the amount of inflammatory biomarkers in your body, in your blood, in your um, gut, in your, um, in your brain. And it, it's a big problem because, you know, there's so many different factors, but inflammation is the one thing that ties a lot of our um, dietary issues together. A lot of our diseases, like you talk about cardiovascular disease, you talk about cancer, you talk about obesity, you talk about um, you know uh, issues with uh, neurological disease, and inflammation is the big ticket um, cause. And so, if there's any way to reduce inflammation, that's one way to get the health benefits uh, uh, from your diet. And meat and dairy is, are some of those things that are going to increase that inflammation, unfortunately. Yeah, and the inflammation is, is a, that's definitely one of these buzzwords now that people seem to be really very aware of, of, the, of the impacts of that. Do you, I mean, when, when we talk about the Western diet again, there's different types of Western diets. So if I'm in, sure. if I'm in Greece or I'm in France or I'm in certain parts of the US, that diet is going to be very different. It's all Western, but it's very different. So I guess another, another big word is the processed part of it as well, isn't it? It's, is this as close as possible to how it was derived from nature or has this had significant amount of kind of chemical um, adjustment to or during the processing of it, which probably includes fats and acids and salts and sugars? Is that then where this information is coming from? Is it more in the processing of it? Yeah, that's a, that's a tough one because um, I would say that the term processing is, is pretty broad. You know, cooking your food is a way of processing your food, right? And, and industrial uh, processes, they do have heat treatments and they have ways that they um, change the way that the food is, um, uh, is able to resist a lot of things like uh, bacteria, um, and uh, you know fungus and that sort of thing and and those types of mild treatments have different effects versus you know let's say you're putting in uh, you know synthetic compounds in there and they change the complete chemical nature of uh, what you're eating that's that's a whole different story so when we're talking about processing we have to be really clear um, in what we're talking about because um, there's ways where if you heat something too high like if you're frying or if you're um, you know, if you're in a factory and you're, you're blasting your food with uh, tons of heat to make sure that it it's, sits on the shelf for two years, um, those things can change, you know, the makeup of the oil, makeup of the proteins, and those can increase uh, inflammation because of the types of products that are formed. Um, on the other hand, you know, if you're mildly treating things, if you're freezing things, um, you know, those are forms of processing, but those help stabilize those compounds and they help uh, make sure that things don't break down if they're sitting out in the air. If, they, if things become rancid, that's an issue because that can cause inflammation as well. So uh, I think it really depends um, and you really have to look at the, the science behind it. I mean, you can't just put a blanket statement and say processing is bad and, the, and, and it's all, you have to go back to nature. And, and that's because if you think about it, you know, we, ha we didn't have a lot of this technology hundreds of years ago. And those technologies have actually helped uh, make sure that food has been safe, has made sure that people don't eat moldy food. And moldy food has uh, toxins that are, are, are many times more potent than a lot of the foods that, that we eat um, that are you know, also processed as well. So um, it, it really is dependent on each type of treatment. And I think, um, I think there's new types of regulations. And I know that the... European Union is actually on the forefront of this, and they're trying to figure out ways to process food that's more mild, um, that doesn't cause all these chemical changes in your food, um, things that 
aren't just like a blast it with heat and you know it's a-okay but things are much more sophisticated um and and are, have an eye towards the nutritional content versus i don't think the united states sort of has that same mode kind of regulation which is, is a bit unfortunate for us okay okay and what i'm getting though is processing is a very broad statement though so it, it's not yeah there's, there's very many different forms of processing and some are necessary in order to either have a longer um, shelf life of the food or to, to stabilize it in some way but other other types of processing may be could be detrimental to the underlying quality of the food absolutely yeah. absolutely okay okay in so again a, a kind of western world versus I, I hate using like these these you know these uh how would you say like classifications like western world or you know developed and developing world but there are there are regions of the world where there are different dietary problems um so you take africa continent of africa or, or southern asia there's definitely issues around malnutrition there um, which probably isn't such an issue for Europe or, or you know, South America or North, North America. Um, one thing which I've always struggled a bit with, with, with things like nutrition, hunger, is why does it happen? Why is it that certain pockets of the world are more susceptible to these things? I'm sure there's climatic effects. There's probably socioeconomic you know, reasons as well, maybe historical, political reasons. But it seems to be certain regions of the world are much more impacted by malnutrition than others. Is, do, do, you, do you have any, any kind of insights on, on why that is? Yeah, you know, that's a tricky, that's a really broad uh, yeah. situation. And I think there's so many different factors. Like, and you mentioned a few and, and certainly, um, you know, but from, a, from a food science standpoint, uh, from a food industry standpoint, I think uh, it, it can be seen from a distribution and supply issue. You know, how do you get food to people who need it uh, most at the quickest and the timeliest possible way. Um, and I think uh, the challenge is there is, you know, if, you, if you're shipping food or you're trying to get food somewhere, there's all these different processes and there's all these different steps that you have to get it there. Um, and if the food goes bad, that's an issue. If it, food gets caught up in some kind of embargo um, or if it's uh, tied up, um, by someone that decides that they want to, you know, increase the price of the, the products that they're selling, um, that, you know, at, at some point that food's going to expire and that's not going to be any, any good for anyone. And I, you know, it, it's tricky. It really is. I think there's a lot of politics that are, um, uh, make it a, a big issue. Um, because there's certainly from a, from a supply standpoint, there's certainly enough food to go around in the world, I think. Yeah. We, we live in a, a time where you know, this, is, this is post, this is like the third uh, agricultural revolution where we have not only uh, different ways to produce fertilizer, which is incredibly important for growing crops, but also we have biotechnology, which allows us to uh, build and generate crops um, and grow crops that are resilient and resistant to a lot of different diseases and different conditions. Um, but getting those technologies to the right people in the right hands and giving them the infrastructure, the education, the, um, the resources to ensure a constant supply of food, that's, that's a real big issue. You know, how do you, how do you do that in a way that ensures that these people are always going to get enough, um, in this time? Because we, we do have the technology. We have, um, the types of crops and hybrids that can survive in those conditions. Um, granted, you know, there's certain, you know, very challenging climactic um, issues that can come up like droughts and sandstorms that really drive, um, drive these, uh, these, these issues up the wall. But um, certainly they can be resolved if there's certain will and power to do it, you know. Do you, again, this, it, it probably touches a bit on, on political issues and, and you know, other, maybe even colonial matters and things like that. But I, I can only speak from historical perspective in Ireland, for example. So we, we had a famine in, in around the 1850. And it wasn't really due to lack of food, but it was due more to the underlying social and political structure in the country that the food supply couldn't reach the people who needed it. It was 
protected or, or it was, uh, let's say, redistributed in, in a different direction. And you see in Africa as well, in particular, that in countries where there's dictators or where there's social unrest or civil wars, that they may be producing crops, but those crops probably aren't sufficient for the people or, or they may sell them as staples to other countries and then they have to import maybe cheaper, less nutritious foods as well. So it, it's, it's all these factors which are, I guess, impacting the, these countries. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, on on the, the kind of flip side of that, but it, it is also re related, because I guess malnutrition is lack of, of sufficient um, cal calorific food intake and, and sufficient nutrients. But on the other side, obesity or, or you know, over overconsumption is too much calorific or over calorific intake but also it could be nutrient deficient so we're eating too many calories but we're not actually getting enough of what we need even with that overconsumption and that is very much a problem in the western world is is that and it's growing as well i think it's grown i think we're about 1.2 billion people who are deemed to be overweight or, or obese um, and that number has has i think tripled in in 30 years so that does seem to be something that is related to the Western style diet or, or the way our society and, and our lifestyle is now working or, or you know, is, is, is that again, something that you, in, in the U S it, it is, it is pretty kind of widespread and, and quite a cause for concern as well. Do you, do you see steps being taken to, to address this? Uh, what, what steps could be taken to? Uh, yeah, that's tough. I think um, absolutely that that obesity issue is 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 growing and continues to grow, and you know there's a lot of factors that are in play with that. There's definitely an emphasis on you know very high uh, high energy dense foods, lots of fats, lots of carbohydrates um, that don't have a lot of nutritional quality to them. You know when we talk about that, we're talking about things like chips and popcorn and, uh, you know, snack foods, breads, um, and, and, and really we're talking about low quality breads on the, at that and uh, cereals and, and so on and so forth. Um, and these foods, I think they're designed to be easy to process. They were designed so that they would sh sit on the shelf for years, uh, be easy to ship, be easy to manufacture, um, and you know, it, it's telling because we have to fortify our, our children's cereal with, you know, minerals and vitamins. And so that, that really does suggest to you that there's a problem with what you're producing if you have to add something back in. Um, and I think, you know, that, that has a lot to do with sort of the subsidies that are given to corn farmers, to grain farmers. Uh, these are really cheap crops, uh, really easy to grow. And, you know, once you have them, then you can do a whole lot of different processes to extract a lot of value from them. You, know, you have corn oil, you have um, high fructose corn syrup, you have, um, it, you know, these, these, these corn also becomes a feedstock for a lot of fer fermented products that uh, then go downstream, things like citric acid, um, sort of all sorts of preservatives. It's it's a really easy crop to to deal with, um, and so because of its low cost, it's really also simple to put in a lot of different foods. Um, and I think I think the unfortunate part of that is that as you do go through these different steps, you lose a lot of the nutritional quality. Um, you, if you're growing something in large mass, it's already going to not have a whole lot of nutritional quality, but then you go through all these chemical processes, you're stripping every, things at every step and at the, end, at the end of it, all you really have are the sugars and carbohydrates or the oils or whatever it is that you've extracted. It's 100% that, you know? And, and you know, the truth is food, food, the food industry likes that because it's, it's a very discreet product that they can use as an ingredient and they can put it in and they know the functionality of that product, um, that ingredient. Um, there's not some weird compound in there that's going to cause uh, changes in the chemical state of that ingredient as it sits over time. Um, and that's, uh, that's, I think that's the hallmark of a truly whole or nutritious food is that 
it, it's going to go through changes. You know, it, there's a lot. It's a very complex mixture versus when you when you try to make things very singular, very precise, very, um, you know, this is 100% X or Y and Z. Um, it makes it easier to handle, but it also uh, removes a lot of the, the, the nutritional quality of that food. Um, and so uh, what I read once um, a while back was that because of the level of um, agricultural production that we have um, in the world, a lot of the plants actually don't absorb um, as much of the, the micronutrients in the ground, a lot of the minerals that they need. So they don't, they, they themselves don't even start off as nutritious. And this is actually an ongoing problem because um, basically we dump a lot of the, the, the minerals and micronutrients into the ocean, you know, we don't ever really recycle any of the, these, these sort of waste products. When you say into the ocean, is that like runoff from the soil or? or? It's a combination of runoff okay. from the soil. It's also, um, you know, we eat nutrients and then we excrete them. And so yeah. they, go, they go in the toilet, but there's no, there's no process to sort of extract that back and, you know, return it back into the cycle. Yeah, so, yeah. so everything just kind of loses its quality over time. And we're basically increasing, um, the amount of carbon that we eat mm. and carbon is is that those sugars and those carbohydrates but we're not increasing the level of um other you know smaller nutrients um that you know aren't are may not be important on a day-to-day -day basis but may be important in the long term uh, for human health and uh, do, i mean do you think there's an awareness in 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 the us or in europe that while we're eating maybe compared to 30 years ago, is probably more processed in general, more, car more carbohydrates, more sugars, more fats, and that there's less micronutrients. And that's a combination of things to do either with the processing or maybe to do with, as you said, deficiencies in the soil or in the plants or in the nutrients available in the soil. Do you, do you think there's an awareness that we're actually getting less bang for our book than we did maybe 20, 30 years ago? <laughs> I think that, um, you know, there, there might be micro pockets of, you know, certainly um, it's talks of it in, in, in academia. Um, certainly there's um, soil experts and, um, you know, agricultural practitioners that really understand uh, the, the connection between all these different uh, complex issues. But overall, I don't think the public really acknowledges or understands uh, these, these long-term issues. Um, you know, and we're talking about something that will change over decades and decades and decades. But, you know, what, what I eat and what I will eat and what you and I, uh, will eat is not going to be the same as what, you know, our grandchildren will eat or, or their grandchildren will eat. You know, we, we really are generally extracting a lot of, you know, value out of the soil, but we're not returning that value to it. So, um I think that's, 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 sorry, sorry for interrupting, but yeah, sure, this, sure. This, this is a point that I, I, I really feel strongly about. So in the UK, we have what's called the Soil Association, and their, their mission is basically to say, we, agriculture is, depletes the soil year after year. We can put nutrients back in, we can put fertilizer in, you know, we, we have, have the Haber-Bosch method, all these things, we can, we can, but you're never getting the same return, or you're never getting the same amount as you did you know, a number of years ago. But there are certain maybe farming methods or certain types of plants that you can plant in the soil and leave for a period of time that can regenerate the soil to, to a certain degree, bring nutrients back in, and then you can harvest other crops beside them. Um, but I think in general, the soil is probably an area that people don't give very much thought to, but is incredibly, incredibly important for food production and for the health of, of ecosystems, really. Um, yeah. I, yeah I, I, I do see it kind of being more and more kind of um, every last drop being being kind of extracted, but not really the time being taken to to rebuild the soil or to give it time to regenerate. And that will that will I think come it will come back to bite us in the future with food production and yields and quality of that yield. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I, I think um, because soil has so many factors that um, play into it. You know, we're we're not just talking about the inert factors. We're not talking about just you know, minerals um, and, and, and dead plant material. We're also talking about the very complex uh, microbiota, you know, the microorganisms that make up the soil, which 
you know, they, they were not designed to live in, um, you know, fertilizer rich soils. They were not designed to be constantly uprooted and exposed um, and, and, and not really treated well. Um, and, you know, there is ongoing research that suggests that these these bacteria play a, a much larger role than we when than we even considered because of their ability to basically protect against parasites to to sort of create a symbiotic relationship with the with the root system um, and to ensure that the water quality is is pristine um, and if you're just you know these are these are really fragile organisms and you know you can't just throw something at them you can't just try to you know rebalance the the, the soil with um, with fertilizers you, you really do need to understand what's going on with um, with with all the different organisms that, that play a role in, in, in a lot of these agricultural processes and in, in your experience or from what you've seen is there research or, or kind of funding going into into kind of soil analyzing soils and and soil quality and regeneration of soil is that is that an area of of interest? I think it's growing. I yeah. know that there are certain pockets in the industry that are looking into using um, bacteria, uh, genetically modified bacteria at that, but um, also there's um, ways to use, you know, certain small cultures of bacteria to sort of ameliorate the soil. But this is new stuff. This is, this is just starting to um, become an issue. And I don't know if the timing will will work out as far as maybe we'll have to plead the soil too far at that point before we can really do very much to kind of uh, uh, reverse the, the processes that are going on now much like climate change i mean you know we may we may get the data now but is that is that data going to be enough to give us the informed um, knowledge and action to do anything in the long term or are we going to be basically playing catch up all through the rest of yeah. um, you know our, our lives and the lives of our children and their children? There is a there does seem to be a kind of a tag a time lag and an accumulative effect as well. So we may realize the problems today, but it could take a generation to to come up with the solutions. And in the meantime, the problem continues to grow and accumulate. Yeah. And then we may we may then have to take even more drastic steps. Yeah, it's exactly it's one of one of these. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, as, as the, the research and the understanding grows, then also the size of the problem and the magnitude and the speed of, of the need of a, of a solution grows. And that is, is the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of um, what you're seeing for, so, you know, in terms of like things like malnutrition, obesity, soil depletion, it's all on the negative side. There's a lot of doom and gloom. And it's like with climate change, you, you can focus a lot on all the deficiencies and all the problems we have. But I do also like to try and give a bit of a positive spin or to, to kind of see where there's pockets of hope or, or things that people are doing to, to, to challenge us in, in thinking in new ways, come up with new solutions or, or new technologies, um, things that can help us to, to maybe grow food in a different way, a better way, a, a using new, new resources or materials that we hadn't considered in the past. So I'm sure that that's an area you're very interested in. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of hope um, because, and, you know, I think there's, there's, there's this challenge here as far as um, what do we do with something like biotechnology? Because biotechnology is sort of the, right now is on the forefront of doing a lot of different um, cutting edge work as far as when it comes to food. There's a number of different startup companies, a number of different organizations that are focusing their attention on, you know, what, what, what they have termed cellular agriculture. They're basically using um, cell-based processes to grow food. And when we talk about that, we're talking about um, using things like uh, bio genetically modified yeast to grow um, the, the proteins that are needed to make milk, for example, um, so that you don't need a cow to actually uh, produce milk um, in, in mass, in mass uh, essentially. And then when we're talking about um, cellular agriculture, we're also talking about uh, cell-based meat where you can grow the meat in a petri dish um, 
and basically bypass the animal. Um, and a lot of those are really geared towards the idea of eventually this will become sustainable. Eventually we'll get the cost down um, to, to such an extent that this will be the main way that we grow food rather than using the traditional forms of agriculture. Um, simply because agriculture, while you know, a tremendous boon for humanity, um, is also quite inefficient in a lot of ways. You know, every time you go from, you know, you take the energy it takes to grow crops, you know, and we're, we're talking about inputs like the energy required to produce the fertilizer, the energy required to harvest the crops, the energy required to um, give them water and then transport it and then process it and then get it into the stores. There's a lot of inefficiencies there. But on top of that, you go and you, you feed those crops to animals and animals only have a 10% efficiency when converting plant-based materials into um, meat, essentially. And, and so anytime you go up the food chain, you're losing, you're losing energy. And then when it finally comes to humans, we don't, we don't necessarily extract 100% of all that energy. And we also waste quite a bit of food. So, you know, you're talking about 30% of food just going straight into the landfill. If there's ways to cut into that, um, essentially grow the food from the cell, um, you're going to gain a lot of efficiencies, theoretically. Yeah. Do you, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I guess when I think of these kind of things, I'm imagining I'll have some type of machine, almost like a 3D printer in my house in 10 years, and I just basically touch all the different ingredients and decide what I want to eat that day and it'll synthesize it into my meal in a nice ready packed form, heated form and just, just the right portion for me, you know, and it's kind of like almost like Star Trek, you know, when you think about yeah. it and you're thinking, <laughs> wow, I won't even go to the shops anymore. I'll just, you know, there'll be some feed into this and I'll get all my ingredients will be prepared and then I just choose what I want to eat that day and it'll be synthesized for me in five minutes. That, I guess it, it could also be a bit difficult for consumers to kind of accept such a sea change in, in food production and, you know, not just where it comes from, but how it's going to look or taste or the, just the fact that it doesn't come from a real animal, but it is cell based, but it's, it's kind of synthesized and grown in a lab. And the minute you think, Oh, it's grown in a lab. You're thinking, Ooh, it's some weird test tube kind of thing. It's a concoction. I don't want to, to try, you know, I guess there will be some, some consumer, apprehension as well at the start so it's there's probably a number a number of factors there but is it i mean do, are we are we at a stage with with the development in some of these technologies that they are going for like fda approval already or and and for for testing and then they will be ready to to kind of market to consumers i would say that the challenge here is the technology still is in its adolescent stage there's a huge cost barrier when it comes to certain ingredients that are needed to allow these cultures to grow. Um, they still unfortunately come from animal-based uh, processes. Um, there's this uh, sort of material that comes from calf's blood that's needed to grow the meat. And you know, that's kind of cyclic. That's kind of, and you're kind of going backwards on that because of not only is it more costly but you're still using animals to, to do this so it's it's still quite um quite young and until someone comes with the comes up with a breakthrough as far as using ingredients that are 100 uh, uh plant-based uh you're not gonna you're not gonna see these products in in the grocery store anytime soon so uh it's still working its way through and, and definitely the regulations will have to uh come cracking down because what do you what do you even call it you know there's there's actually a lot of issues as far as the the nomenclature and, and copyrights and, and, and trademarks and so on and so forth because almost uh, meat <laughs> yeah almost, what do you what do you yeah can you call it meat is that yeah, almost meat right like it's like tofurkey right yeah, exactly <laughs> what's going on with that yeah and, and you're already seeing that with the, the milk industry you know the milk industry the dairy industry is cracking down on um, you know, uh, soy-based and pea-based milks. Um, they don't like that. They don't like the fact that these, uh, these products are encroaching on their, their market space. And so um, 
I think there's going to be a lot of pushback, especially because the meat industry is so consolidated and has so much power, um, uh, certainly in the United States. Um, so yes, um, so the technology is, is still growing. Um, and and I, I honestly don't know if we're going to see anything like that that's in the affordable price range for, it might actually end up being a novelty, unfortunately. Mm. Um, you know, there's things that you can do with that kind of uh, technology that, that is really fanciful and really great for, you know, if you want an expensive meal, you do something like we change up the makeup of these cells so they produce more fat or they marble in a different way. But I don't see it really impacting, uh, you know, your average Joe or, you know, a person in um, these, these developing countries that, that really need something that is fast and easy and um, nutritionally beneficial and inexpensive. Okay. Okay. That, that's really good to know. What, what then would you say kind of will be the big, do you see any big shakeups coming then in terms of food, um, food production or, or in terms of the types of foods that people are eating? Well, not, maybe not even food as we, as we currently understand it, but the types of things we may be eating. You've, see, you've seen, I've seen some news reports of bugs, insects, um, all kinds of weird and strange creatures that uh, may have you know nutritional value but flavor is probably close to zero so I, I don't know i don't know <laughs> yeah i can tell you that uh first-hand experience i've had one of these been these little puffs that are made from um, cricket powder you know something like a it was something like a frito puff or um a mimic of that and i gotta say i'm not a big fan i mean i i I definitely had a sense of hype, you know, that I had this idea of, ooh, this would be a game changer, but I can't stomach it. You know, I, even if I don't think about it, I don't think about that it's coming from a cricket and I try it, I, I really don't see the appeal, unfortunately. I mean, I think you're really gonna have to work hard as far as um, introducing uh, synthetic uh, flavor ingredients, and, you know, flavor enhancers to really make this something palatable. Um, on, on the flip side, there's possibly ways to process it, but it's tough. It's, it's, they have a marketing issue. There's a big barrier right there. I think, um, I think like, like with the phrase money talks, flavor also talks, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> inconsistent or, or pleasant flavor. People will say, all day long, you know, they eat for health, they eat for, um, you know, quality, they eat so, so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, if something doesn't taste good, people aren't going to burn your mouth. That's 100% true, 100%. And I can say for veganism, one of the, one of the biggest drawbacks for me is I was thinking, this food is going to be plain and boring. How am I going to make a salad tasty? How am I going to, I'll do a taco or an enchilada or I'll do some tofu soup. It's just going to, after a week, I'm going to be bored. But what I realized is, Yes, maybe the underlying ingredients are, are, don't taste great. In many cases, they're very bland, but you can work with them. You can make tasty sauces. The texture is okay, so the texture is maybe another issue, but the texture is usually okay, and they come from you know, plant-based materials, so there is, it feels like nature, but the, the flavor can be definitely... The flavor and the texture, I think, it's not quite there. It can be a challenge to, to really sell it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Do, do, maybe just one one final thing, and we, we can we can leave it there because we've we've jumped around the globe and lots of different topics. But if you if you if I could ask you, kind of, what are the top three challenges you see currently in terms of in terms of food science or or let's say nutrition for for people, and do you see them do you see them being addressed in, in adequate ways at the moment? Mm -hmm. I think um, one of the issues is that food is absolutely market driven you know these companies aren't producing food just because you know just for kicks I mean, people are buying it so the the unfortunate truth is that if people really like low quality non-nutritious food that's what will be given to them you know and so you're you, you vote with your dollar in, in a lot of ways 
and you know companies are going to just keep producing what what the the market um, is demanding. On the flip side of that, um, you know I, I do think that the food industry has a responsibility to ensure um, that their food comes up to standard. And I don't know honestly, I don't know if that's you know, everyone has a different perspective on it. I don't know if that needs to come down as government regulation. I don't know if that needs to come down as, you know, companies coming together and self-regulating much like um, the car industry um, used to do as far as um, car safety and seat belts. But I think we're seeing more and more of the downside of a lot of the technology that we're using to ensure our food is safe. I, I think it's incredibly important to make sure that food doesn't go bad, that does last long, um, that, that can withstand a lot of um, you know, normal wear and tear because people are busy, uh, life is busy, and um, this is the way that our global uh, economy works. Um, on the other hand, um, you do see innovation out in the U European Union. You do see food companies that are trying to um, get to the cutting edge as far as can we process food in a better way? Can we make it healthier, uh, more flavorful? Um, uh, and I, th I think that's still important for the bottom line. I think in the long term, you don't want customers that decide to uh, you know, eat your food and then 10, 20 years down the line, they, they they don't make it. I mean, that's not, that's not good business. Um, you don't want to kill your consumers, right? You don't want to kill your consumers. Um, and I, I don't know if there's enough foresight there to ensure that we're going to have a change unless something drastic happens. I guess, I, guess I, I hate to, sorry for jumping in again, but no, go, go, go. Um, I guess one other big topic, which is very much associated with this, and it's actually in the FDA name, which is Food and Drug Administration, is healthcare. Mm -hmm. It's probably not for today, but I do think there is maybe a different attitude in terms of what you, let, you, let your food, let thy food be thy medicine. Mm -hmm. I think a very, very, um, you know, very true, it's a truism. And I think what you put in will ultimately determine the level of health you have and your longevity and the type of life you have. And I think healthcare can also be strained by, by the choices in, in, of diet that, that people make. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's, there's not a lot of crosstalk between the two. You know, when, when we're talking about um, nutrition and food uh, and, and the healthcare, for, for whatever reason, I'm not sure what plays a role into that. I don't know if it's because of the way these fields have grown, but um, I can tell you that, you know, doctors don't talk to food scientists and vice versa. You know, there's not a lot of discussion there. And I think that's really unfortunate. I think that not having that, those two perspectives can really be a detriment, um, as far as, uh, long-term health outcomes for people. And then, yeah, like you said, that's a, that's its own conversation. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of opinions yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not for today. Right? Yeah. I, I think it is, um, it, it, it's good to point out. So I, I used to live in Germany and, and in Germany, they have a very interesting approach, which is almost, it's almost a pre preventative approach. And they say, you, you as a consumer or as, as a human being, you have a responsibility to your body and to the healthcare system. So if you choose to make decisions which are to the detriment of your health through your diet or lack of exercise, you will have more expensive healthcare and you will be liable for, for other costs or other types of treatments which are more expensive. So what we're going to do is we're going to incentivize you to make healthy decisions. So we're going, to, we're going to give you cheap or free exercise, training, therapies, education. We're going to give you as much um, support as possible to make the right decisions so that it doesn't cost you or the healthcare system when you make bad decisions, which I think is a really good approach. But it, it requires time to train, educate, and get people into the habit of making the right decisions. Absolutely, absolutely. I think... Um... That, that's really an uh, interesting perspective because I know that with a market-driven healthcare system like we have here in the United States, you know, I hate to say it, but there is a, there's a monetary incentive to make sure that people aren't healthy, you know, and I, I, might, I might get some, <laughs> some kickback on that uh, statement, but certainly uh, if you're making people healthy, you, they're not spending as much. Um, as far as, uh, you know, uh, in terms of healthcare, And 
that's an unfortunate perspective. That's an unfortunate way of seeing things. But I think it can drive people to consider not doing things that are good for you in the long term, like exercise or, you know, things that are preventative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. This has been, this has been a really, really interesting discussion. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And, and um, it's an area that I'm, I'm so passionate about because I think food, choice of food, diet, health, health decisions are so critical for our, our well-being, but I think also for our mental well-being and for the well-being of society. And, and I, really, I, I, I really hope you know, that people can, can see that the choices they make with the food they eat will have an impact on their, on their health and their well-being years and, and decades in the future. And, and you know, people like yourselves who are, are you know, in an industry where, where food is, is at the forefront of what you're doing, is, uh, it's really important that, you know, that message is, is coming across. And I'm really, really glad that we have smart people like yourself who are, who are looking at all the problems uh, in, in the food system. I also would like to, to note that you, you've just published your, your book as well. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Um, I uh, wrote a book about food science in the kitchen. Uh, it's titled 150 Food Science Questions Answered. Um, and it comes out on July 21st. And I'm really excited for it. Um, it's been a bit of a labor of love. Um, really glad to just get real solid food science in, in consumers' hands. Um, and yeah, I, I really hope that it helps people and gives them some perspective as far as the science behind what their cooking is and what happens in the food industry and um, all sorts of different um, pieces of information. Yeah.